glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Stand, if you would, please, in honor of the reading of God's Word, beginning in verse 26 of Acts chapter 8. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning, and sitting in his chariot read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near, and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, that's what brings us here tonight, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. And thank you, may be seated. We'll come back to this in a few moments as the second point of our message. And I want to start here tonight because it's where we are in order. God willing, next week we'll be uh, toward the end of the book of Acts when Paul is in a storm and God promised him in the night that they would not be destroyed in that storm. And Paul would declare, I believe God. The, all the circumstances said that they were going to die. The, uh, the people in charge on the boat were convinced they were going to die, but God had told Paul they were not that he wasn't done using Paul yet, and Paul said, I believe God. There's a lot of application in that text to where we're living today, where there's many things going around us, making it seem that uh, perhaps our world is, is, is going to crash, and so uh, we need, that, we need to, to, to take God at his word. And there's a theme of that, of course, anytime we're dealing with faith, we're not talking about simple, um, we're not talking about some kind of imagination that I have and choose to believe what I think, Faith is believing what God says. I encourage you, every time you hear the word faith, to know that faith from God's perspective, faith, what true faith is, is not simply belief in something better. It's not simply belief in a higher power. It is believing what God says, taking God at his word. Having said that, if you want to hold your finger in Acts 8 or just know that we'll be back, coming back here, here in just a little bit, let's turn over to John chapter 9. And we're going to review just a little bit. We looked at this gentleman a few weeks ago, the man born blind. I do not intend to re-preach the message and the messages I preached before, though we will be touching on 
some of the same things. What I want us to see tonight is in these three people that made a confession of faith, the Bible lays down a principle that in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. So the Holy Spirit has given us three specific examples of three different people, one woman and two men that publicly, openly confessed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their belief that he is indeed the Son of God. May I say every doctrine we hold is based upon that truth. Every doctrine we hold. I don't, you, you can talk about the doctrine of creation that is based upon the, the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You could say, wait a minute, isn't it the other way around? No, because he's the Son of God, he's the Creator. And so every, every belief we hold, is, he is the chief cornerstone of everything. If Jesus is not the Son of God, our belief system falls to pieces. My belief that the Bible is, is God's Word, that the Scripture is supreme, that the Scripture is supreme, the printed Word is supreme over even the preached Word. The preached Word must be judged by the printed Word. You know why we believe that? That's what the Lord Jesus Christ says. That's the, himself. That's how he taught and preached to verify his own messages. You know what he did? It is written. May I say our Lord and Savior is and was a Bible preacher. Have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by the prophets? Jesus would say to his naysayers, he used the scripture to instruct. He used the scripture to correct. And he still does today. And so our belief in the Scripture and how to use the Scripture and the infallibility of the Scripture is because that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. My belief in an eternal judgment, your belief in eternal judgment in a place called hell is because we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. All of these things hinge on him because all of these things are based on his word. And so then uh, we find tonight that the Christian life is built upon and based upon the persuasion that Jesus is who the Bible declares him to be. He's not who we want him to be. He is who he is, and he is who the Scripture declares him to be. And upon that, our lives should be lived based upon that reality. Because Jesus is the Son of God, we know he's going to come again. Our belief in things that are referred to as eschatology, things to come. It all centers on the Lord Jesus Christ being who the Bible declares him to be. He is the risen Son of God. He is the returning King to set up the kingdom of God on this earth uh, at his rule and his reign. Those things are true because he's the Son of God. And because he's the Son of God, he's given to us who believe in him his Holy Spirit. So that's the point I want to make tonight. So when a person, you and I get saved, when we're convinced that that's true, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who God's Word declares Him to be. And as such, He took our place on, on the cross so that our sins have been fully punished and paid for through His sacrificial death and shed blood. And that because He's the Son of God, He is the only one that can save me. Not was the only one who can save me. He's the only one who is. Because He's the Son of God, only Jesus Christ can clear my sin debt with God. That's what... I, I couldn't have explained it that way at four years of age, but that's what I came to believe, that Jesus was who the Bible said he was. I'm a sinner. He had died for me, and only Jesus could save me. So only he was who I was to look to in faith and trust to save me from my sins. By the way, it's simple enough a child can understand it, except to be converted and become as little children. You cannot see the kingdom of God. And so then the point here tonight would be this, 
that faith that he brought me to because of his faithfulness as a little child is the very faith that I operate by today. It's the assurance of my salvation. Why? Because he is the Son of God. So when we come to that fundamental faith, again, I think we see three things that cover a lot of territory when it comes to the Christian life demonstrated in John 9 by a brand new believer. John, I mean, he is just. We, we get the record of him coming to personal faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We get the same thing in Acts chapter 8. We get to have a glimpse at the conversion of a sinner, someone who's gone from darkness to light, and we see the same thing in Acts chapter 8. Then in John chapter 11, we get a picture of a more seasoned saint and Martha, but all three of them held the same belief that Jesus Christ is Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So here in John chapter 9, we'll start reading in verse 14. And I'm going to, I'm going to need to read a few verses uh, so, to, so to put this into uh, some level of context. I don't want to read all of those verses. We're familiar enough with this. We went through this so recent. Let me, let me not start in verse 14. Let me move on down uh, just a little bit. And uh, let's, let's instead start in verse 26. So we're talking about uh, the Pharisees. Now, they're, they're, they're challenging this man who had been born blind. The Lord has opened his eyes. Verse 26, Then said they to him again, What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses, as for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, Why, herein is a marvelous thing that you know not from whence he is. And yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. The first thing we see tonight that is going to be present in a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ in someone who is convinced that the record that God has given of his son is true is that there is consecrated worship in the heart of the person who knows that Jesus is the son of God. There are those today claiming faith in the Lord Jesus and they cannot seem to find it in their vernacular to call him anything but Jesus. I'm not being unkind. I'm not trying to be mean. But there has come a fad. How many of you know when I'm talking about fads in verbiage? To where, okay, if I said, if I used five times tonight the word connect, you'd say, what have you been reading, Pastor? What, what are you doing? Nothing wrong with the word connect, but it's a click word right now. It's a, it's a catchphrase. It's a, we use, especially in churches. Well, it's also become very catchy not to refer to the Lord Jesus as the Lord Jesus. He's just Jesus. You've heard me talk about this before, but I warn you, I caution you, that when that happens, somewhere, reverence has been lost for who he is. Yes, you say, do you think it's sin to refer to him as Jesus? No, the Bible does it. But notice in your Bible how rare that is, and it's normally in a historical setting. When Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus. Is that what he said? You'll not find Paul saying, Paul, an apostle of Jesus. 
Paul, an apostle of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You find Peter referencing him. These are men who are superior to us spiritually. I think we would all agree. And yet they would not call. These are men that sat and dined with him. These are men that rode boats with him. These are men that fished together with him. These are men that rubbed shoulders with him physically speaking, but refused. Talking about Peter and James and John. They did not call him just Jesus. You find John the Revelator in Revelation referring to him with fear and trembling. He, he, he is at his feet as one dead. My point is this. When this man figures out who Jesus truly is, here's what he knew. His comprehension had been opened. The Lord Jesus' word had opened his eyes physically, and now his word is going to open his eyes spiritually. Here he is, never having been able to see, born blind. The Lord Jesus comes along, spits in the mud, and puts it on his eyes to go wash in the pool of Siloam. He does and comes back seeing, and then all the fun begins. You see, most everybody in this man's day believed that a Messiah would come. But it would do you great chagrin if you're a Pharisee to say he has come. It was one thing to hypothetically believe in a Savior, It was another to say, we have found him, or rather he found us. You you with me? Can I give you an analogy? It's one thing to say, I hypothetically believe in the infallible word of God, but nobody really has it. I hypothetically believe that there's a perfect Bible, but no one has it because it's in Hebrew and Greek and the originals have been lost. Well, that's just dandy. That keeps us looking, but we're not sure we have the word of God now, are we? But if you say, we have it, it's in our hands. Now all of a sudden the fun begins. Now wait just a minute. Are you saying that Bible you're holding is the perfect word of God? Yes. You can't say that. Why? It is. (laughs) Amen. I still challenge someone to disprove it. Prove the error of this book. All you'll find is scoffers and scorners popping up their hands. Not believers. Amen. Here's what I'm trying to say to you tonight. This man, it had already been decided, and we looked at this a few weeks ago, that if any should confess that Jesus was the Christ, they would be what? Put out of the synagogue. Meaning, there was a predetermined rule. If you say that that man from Nazareth is the Christ, you are no longer welcome in our religion. Boy, I tell you, that will put a little pressure on you, now, won't it? If you, if you acknowledge that he's the one, you want to say you believe a Messiah is coming, fine, but don't you say he has come. That means God is among us. He has visited us. That means if we don't repent toward him, we're all wrong. Right? That's what the Pharisees hated so much. They were being put on the same level as everybody else. You're sinners in need of a Savior. And so it had already been decided that if any should confess that Jesus was the Christ, they should be put out of the synagogue. Well, I tell you what, this man had nothing to lose. He was already, for the most part, on the outs. He's a blind man. Now, his parents had a different situation, and that's how we find out it had already been decided uh, that if any confess Christ, it would be put out. Verse 22, it says, these, spake, these words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, when his parents were asked, is this your son? They said, yes, it's our son. Was he born blind? Yes. How does he see? He's old, he's of age, you ask him. Why did they respond that way? Because they didn't know how he saw or they were afraid of the retribution of man. They were afraid of the retribution of man. So they said, 
We don't know. Ask him. He's of age, and so that's what happens. So what I want to point out is, and we won't belabor this because, again, we've preached here, but when we are convinced that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, should that not result in the same way it resulted in this man's life? He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. If you were tonight, and this might help a little bit, I think when these messages, if they're going to sink in, we need to think and react. And so if you were to define what is worship, you've heard me preach about it and define it, but if somebody asked you what is worship, what would you say? What is worship? Praise? That certainly is a part of it, no doubt. Amen. So humbling ourselves, exalting him. Would you say that worship is first an attitude or an action? It's attitude. They that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. Meaning it's a matter of the heart first and foremost. Today we hear the terms, especially the two terms put together, praise and worship. By the way, those are two very good terms. There's nothing wrong with praise and worship, everything right, particularly if it's directed toward the Lord. But you help me, when we use those two terms, if we say so-and-so is a worship leader at his church, what do we generally mean? They lead the music. Now, music is a way whereby we can worship. But I've said it before, worship, there's much done in the name of worship. We're not going to cover it tonight. I'm not going to take tonight's message to talk about CCM and all of that. Let's talk about us. We have the good old hymns that were written by people who were worshipers of God. Uh, someone said, who visited the church here recently, said the, the old hymns are not good because they're old. They're old because they're good. I have not lost that quote. I love that. Meaning they've, they've stood the scrutiny of time because they are, they're tested and true. And uh, that doesn't mean they're, they're, they're infallible, but they're, they've, they've done that because for the most part they were written out of people's hearts for the Lord. Most of the songs we have in our book were not written by professional hymn writers who were being paid a stipend for writing hymns. Most of them were written out of deep experiences with the Lord and out of that flowed songs in their heart that the Spirit of God placed there. But what if you and I stand here and we we repeat their words but we don't share their attitude toward God? So for instance... When Spafford wrote, it is well with my soul, what he was saying is, I have suffered deep affliction, but I am content with God. Is that not worship? To say, God is always right, no matter what. I exalt God in my heart and my mind because of his righteousness. When this man figured out, I am standing before the Creator. And the Bible says, he worshipped him. And the question would be tonight, what is my attitude toward the one I say I believe is the Son of God? Is it optional? So here's what worship looks like. When I worship someone, there I hang on every word they speak. Worship deals with adoration. I adore this person. I have a tremendous love and longing for this person. Worship has to do with trust. I completely trust this person. I admire them for their great and holy and high qualities and so forth. False worship would be to admire people for wrong things. But the fact that people or, or, or things God has created, but God is the one that's worthy of worship. And so if we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We, like the man born blind, 
will have worship that's consecrated to him. I want you to think about this. The man's eyes had been opened, not only physically but spiritually, so that, that tells us of his comprehension. He now is certain who Jesus is. He was already convinced Jesus was from God. He said, whether it be a sinner or not, I know not. But one thing I know, I was blind and now I see and I know who did it. So he already had a great deal of respect for the Lord Jesus, but his respect went to worship when Jesus told him, I that speak unto thee am he. And he said, if you can open my blinded eyes, I know you are who you claim you are. And he worshipped him. Can you imagine at this moment Jesus saying to this man, now, I want you to go to the pool of Siloam and wash again. Lord, I'm pretty busy right now. Can you imagine? That doesn't look like worship, does it? Worship is, my will is submitted to you because you're great and powerful and wise and I trust you. And so it's love, adoration, fear, and trust all mingled together in the heart of a person. That's what you find. My question is, is that your heart toward the Son of God tonight? Is he, does he have full permission to do with my life, whatever he wants. That's worship. You think of what you dream of the most. Does the Lord Jesus have a right to cancel it? You think of what you dread the most. Does he have a right to order it? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. How many times, here's what Jesus said. Here's what he said. I'm going to have to paraphrase because I didn't write the reference down. He said, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say unto you? You know what he's saying? The number one manifestation of worship is obedience. Obedience. I respect you so much, I'll do anything you tell me. Now, I told men in jail the other night. I said, if I told you guys... Here's what you need to do. You let me take over your lives. You do anything I tell you anytime you tell me, anytime I tell you. I said, would any of you guys be takers? They're all like, mm-mm. I said, you'd be fools to let any other man run your life. No man is worthy of that kind of worship. But Jesus Christ is. Do you know why? He is the Son of God. So the first thing that we see is when we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and we believe on Him as the Son of God, we give unto Him consecrated worship. We see this man's comprehension of who Christ is manifest in His worship, but we also see His cost. The Bible says already because of His defense of the Lord Jesus Christ, in verse 34, that the Pharisees and the religious leaders cast Him out. They rejected Him. But I want us to see this more importantly, and that is his conviction. Do you realize when, G, when this man worshipped the Lord Jesus, who he did it in the presence of? Verse 39, and Jesus said, so the man worships Jesus. He said, I believe, and he worshipped him. Verse 39, and Jesus said, for judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see. That was the man born blind. And that they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, If you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. Do you realize who this man confessed Jesus in front of? The Pharisees. The very ones that had already cast him out. Here's what, he's, here's what worship does. Worship brings me to the point 
where I am unashamed of him before men. If he's truly the son of God, do we need to apologize? Now, it's easy for me to preach this to you who share my belief. But how many people out there actually, really, truly, genuinely believe that Jesus Christ is who the Bible says he is? Very few. Most people that profess to be Christians don't even believe that. How could you say so? I shouldn't say most. I don't know most. But I'm afraid in a world where it's popular to say you're a Christian and you really don't believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, it's easy to do that, especially in our nation in this period of time. But the fact of the matter is, when he's the son of God, there are those, by the way, if we identify with him and, 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 and align with his word, here's what this man did. Because he was truly convinced Jesus was the son of God, he was willing to confess him before men. Taking your own time, if you would, to read Matthew 10, 32 and 33, what our Lord has to say about confessing him before men. There are those uh, that, that would keep their profession of faith secret. Anybody remember anybody like that in the, in the New Testament? There were Pharisees, the Bible says, believed on him, but they would not confess him openly for fear of the Jews. The fear of man bringeth a snare. I admire the man in John 9 because consecrated worship looks like this. I know those men right there hate Jesus Christ. I know those men right there believe that he's a fraud. I know that those men right there hate me for believing in him. But I'm willing to worship him in their presence. When we, let me just put it like this before we move on to our next point. When we, when we segregate worship of the Lord to church, we're doing ourselves and others a great disservice. Should we worship the Lord here together? Yes, but should this be the only place we sing songs about the Lord? No. No. There are many people have two different lives. The life at church and the life out in public. The life at church, I identify with other believers. The life outside of church, I identify with unbelievers. So when I'm at church, I have music about the Lord Jesus Christ. When I'm out of church, I have music that is not about him because I wouldn't want to be ashamed before them. I'll just use that as one example. When I'm at church, I have language that sounds familiar to the Bible, but when I'm not, I don't want to stick out as a, you know, a Bible thumper or some kind of a weirdo or something like that. Here's a man that knew without, without a shadow of a doubt that the men standing within the earshot did not believe Jesus was the Son of God and he worshipped him and said, I believe. And so we are to confess him openly before men. You know what witnessing is? Confessing our personal faith that Jesus Christ is who the Word of God says he is to others. That's really what witnessing is. And so then we find that belief in Jesus Christ, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, results in, bears the fruit of consecrated worship, an attitude of reverential fear, love, and trust toward the person of Jesus Christ. When that's the case, then he now has governance over me. I want to, Before we move on, ask yourself, who is the ruler of your life? The ruler of your life is whoever you fear the most. Whether you fear man and what they'll do to you or fear God for who he is. They're two different kinds of fear, are they not? And so belief in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is, results and bears the fruit of consecrated worship. Number two, where we were in Acts chapter 8, we will not read it all again for time's sake. But what we find here is not the aspect of worship, but walk. 
We're going to focus on the word walk. What the Bible says the man John 9 did, he said, I believe, and he worshipped him. But in Acts chapter 8, what you find the man doing is he is doing a work. He is, he is making a step, a decision. And so we'll, we'll focus on a few things that we see in Acts chapter 8 where we read in verses 26 through 39 earlier. This man started with an attitude of reverence or fear for the Lord. The Bible says of the eunuch that he had gone to Jerusalem for to worship. That's what verse 27 says. So he's got the same heart toward God in general that we find the man in John 9, but he doesn't know yet who the Savior is. And so then he's in his chariot. He is trying to worship God. He'd gone to Jerusalem, that holy city, the city of Jehovah God, and he was there to worship. He's a great man. He's a man of great reputation, eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. He had charge of all her treasure. This is obviously a trustworthy man. And he'd gone to Jerusalem to worship. Then he's returning, verse 28, sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. You know as well as I was reading chapter 53. And what you find here is that his reverence is shown in him getting into the revelation of God's word. And so as he's reading the word of God, he gets into the printed word. I don't know how he got a scroll. I don't know where he got it, who he got it from. But he's got, by the way, it had to be a copy. How many of us believe he had the original scroll of Isaiah? Uh, it's unfortunate he did not have some of the scholars of our day to help him understand that a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy is hopefully what God actually said. Well, that'll build your faith. You with me tonight? There's a little bit of a theme today. I'm a little just, I'm a little, I got some holy frustration at men who claim to be helping God's people and are constantly saying, you really don't have a Bible you can trust. That will not build your faith. That will build doubt in you. We have a Bible that we can trust. Praise God. I'm glad there wasn't some well-known radio or television or mega church or small church for that matter, Bible scholar to undo this man's faith in the written word of God. I'm glad that Philip didn't show up and say, oh, you're reading from that? It's probably a translation. I don't know. you got to have the originals. You with me? No, he didn't do that. He just opened up and preached in Jesus from the Scripture. So what this man had, he gets revelation from God through the printed word and then the preached word. The Holy Spirit of God had sent Philip to go down into him and join himself to that chariot. And when he comes up, the man says, Come on in. Have a stand here with me in my chariot. He invited him to come up into his chariot. And uh, the Bible says, Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? Do you understand what you're reading? And the man says, How can I except some man should guide me? Once again, let's play the devil's advocate. Philip said, Oh, well, I have an easier to understand translation. Since you don't understand the one you have, there must be something wrong with it. Amen. That's right. <laughs> That's what we hear today. If you can't understand what you're reading... Because you're intelligent, there has to be something wrong with what you're reading. No, that's not the problem. What it takes is an honest man to say, no, I need somebody else to guide me. Well, we can't do that. No, 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 we shouldn't do that. But that's what the eunuch did. He said, how can I except some man should guide me? And so then he asked Philip, he said, is this man talking about himself or some other? Ooh, what a perfect question. And from that text of Scripture, the Bible says, Philip preached unto him Jesus. May I say this? If you and I 
We'll approach the written word the same way the eunuch did. We'll come out of it the same way he did. Convinced of what is true. He was not saying, well, I've decided through my diligent study that this man must be talking about himself. He said, I don't understand what I'm reading, but apparently you're here to help me, so if you'll guide me and help me know what it means, I'll believe it. Amen? So Philip preached unto him Jesus, showing, obviously. You know what's interesting to me? In the account of Scripture, we do not have Philip's sermon preserved. We just have what it was about and who it was about preserved. We do have the scripture that he read preserved for us in our Bibles. What all Philip said to him, I don't know how long the preaching was. I don't know how, but Philip knew who Jesus was. And he knew that that prophecy was about the Lord Jesus. And he showed this man with certainty from Isaiah 53, Jesus is the Son of God. Come in fulfillment. He was wounded for your transgressions, bruised for your iniquities. And when Philip got done, this man understood, I have a responsibility then to respond to the Son of God. And as they're going along, he said, hey, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? God did not give us all the details. How did he know that believers get baptized? Perhaps Philip preached that to him. I don't know. What I do know is that he makes a request based on the fact that he had believed what he heard. He read the printed word. He heard the preached word. And there they are, just the two of them out in the desert. And he realizes any sincere believer in Jesus Christ gets baptized in water. There's water. Why can't I? There's an entire different message I've preached from here before that that ought to be the attitude of the Christian. Here's an opportunity for me to obey and demonstrate that I truly believe Jesus is the Son of God. What we're dealing with for this man is his walk. Conformity to the Savior in his walk. The Lord Jesus himself in Matthew 3, 13 through 15 was baptized of John the Baptist and he said, It becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. We know Jesus wasn't baptized to wash away his sins. He had none. We know he was, it was an act and a work and a walk of righteousness in, in figure and type of what he came to do. That as he was dunked under the water, he would die for our sins and be buried and raised again with new life for us. And as we put our trust in him, our old man is crucified with him, buried with him and raised to walk. Do you realize that's what that eunuch believed on that day out of Isaiah 53? He came to faith not in a system of religion. He came not to faith in his own ability to perform. He came to faith in a person. And he says, I want my walk to match my profession. I believe what I've heard. Now I want to demonstrate it by what I do. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, the Lord Jesus' command was, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Do you realize this man is beginning a walk of faith? He's saying, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, so I'm going to do the very first thing he told me to do as a sincere believer. I'm going to get baptized. And I wonder how many of us have taken that step and along the line maybe lost our sight of who he truly is. And if Jesus be the Son of God, we should worship him. And if we worship him, then we should walk in obedience to his commandments. No one has the right to govern our lives as does Jesus Christ. What else does it mean for him to have the preeminence in all things? Can I, can I help us? I want to be practical tonight. If I can come to something in this book that expresses the clear mind of my Savior and it not change my conduct, And I know what he wants. And I see what he wants. 
And I'm clear what he wants. And yet, knowing he's the son of God and his word does not change me, something's broken. Would you agree? Now, on the other side, when it does, when I say, you know what? The Lord Jesus said that I am to forgive, that I am to, uh, to love my enemies. The Lord taught us clearly by that, don't be bitter. Don't, that's not the word he used, but he taught us, don't hold grudge. Don't carry out revenge. You leave that to God. Pray for your enemies. Good thing our Lord does. That's why Paul is going to be in heaven. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Do you know what the Lord Jesus is doing? He was intervening in, in the life of his own enemy. Who had Saul been persecuting? Christ. And then Christ intercepted him, turned him around, saved him, and made his life something profitable. My point is tonight that when we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, then when once we know his will, all we need to be looking for is the opportunity to do it. Isn't that what the eunuch did? Once he knew who Jesus was, he said, See, here is water. What would hinder me right now, me the eunuch, from getting baptized? And what was Philip's answer? Unless you don't have a King James Bible. We have the answer if you have a King James Bible. Otherwise, it's going to be missing for the most part in most of those Bibles or translations. But Philip answered, Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, if you believe what I have preached to you from the Bible, good opportunity for the eunuch to say, I follow God, not men. Hmm? I hear that statement today, and it, I'm going to be candid. It normally comes from people that are rebels. Say, Pastor, we're supposed to be followers of God, not men. God has commanded us to follow men who follow him. When God wanted to save the eunuch, he didn't send him an angel. He sent him a man. When God wanted to save Cornelius, he did not send an angel. He sent a man. When God wanted to pastor the church at Ephesus, he gave them a man named Timothy. When God wanted to ordain elders in the, in the churches of Crete, he sent a man named Titus. With me? Now, don't be a man follower and don't be a cultist. That's sinful. But God gives us men to help us follow him. That's God's way. And often it's just a cop-out to say, I'm going to do my own thing. Most times when we say, I don't follow men, we are. We're just picking the men we're going to follow, and it's normally the one we look at in the mirror. Amen. <laughs> that's a good Mexico amen. Anyway, that's the way it works. But you know what the eunuch did? Philip says, do you believe with all your heart? Believe what? The message of Jesus Christ that I just preached to you from Isaiah 53. He had to believe the printed word. Friend, he had to believe the preached word. Because without the preaching, he couldn't understand the printing. You with me? God, what's this verse? For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved is the power of God. God. Who has God entrusted preaching to? Men or angels? Then at some point in time, we're going to have to believe the preaching of men that God has raised up to preach. That's just the way God works. That's, that's in his word. And so he did. We don't believe men for men's sake. We believe men who preach the word of God because it's the word of God. So his, his, his walk, conformity to walk, there was reverence toward the Lord. Then there was revelation of his word. He makes the request, what can I do? What would hinder me to be baptized? If thou believest with all thine heart thou mayest. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water... The Spirit of the Lord called away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. 
Do you know what brings rejoicing in the life of a sincere believer? This is deep. Obedience. Do you know why it brings obedience? Because my life has lined up with what I know to be true. My actions match my profession. I believe Jesus is the Christ. What does the Lord Jesus say? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And this man went on his way rejoicing because he went on his way with a good conscience. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3 that baptism is the answer of a good conscience toward God. Number three, we find there is consecrated worship. And then we find when we believe Jesus is the Son of God, there is conformity to Him in our walk, conformity to Him and His will. Number three, when we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, we will continue in His Word. John chapter 11. John chapter 11. And again, we looked at this text some weeks ago uh, on Resurrection Sunday. Verse 18, the Bible says, Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God... God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection last day. Martha's already a theologian. Really, she understood the resurrection. The doctrine of the resurrection, by the way, is taught in the Old Testament books very clearly. Daniel teaches it. Some minor prophets deal with it. Uh, it's, a, it's a Bible doctrine from Old to New Testament. So Martha said, I know that. I, I'm aware, Lord, that he's going to rise. And it's almost like she's saying, that doesn't really give me help today. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Well, he'll, he'll, he'll rise in the resurrection. It'd be like, be like you and I having a Christian loved one who loses their, you know, their husband or their wife or their dear, dear brother. And they say, I don't know what I'm going to do. I miss them. I wish something could have been done. I wish God would have answered prayer. Oh, take heart. They'll rise again. You'll see them someday. Sometimes, that may be true, but sometimes that's not the thing to say. Not at the moment. Weep with them that weep. Jesus would weep with them. But Jesus wasn't talking about resurrection the last day. He means, I'm going to raise him from the dead right now. And just bear with me here. And the Bible says, she says, I know that he will rise, uh, in, that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Then he asked her, Believest thou this? She does not directly answer his question. He gave her some very specific words, and he said, I want to know, Martha, do you believe what I just told you? And the Bible says, She saith unto him, Yea, Lord. So she does, but she doesn't. Listen to her answer, her explanation. Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. You know what she's saying? She said, I believe what you say because I believe who you are. Now, there's difficulty as we dealt with this in the previous message and what he says to her. How many of us know that Martha knew her brother was a believer in the Lord Jesus? The Bible says that Jesus loved him, that Jesus loved them. We know Lazarus was a believer. Yet Jesus is telling her, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never. But her brother's been dead four days. Are there times his word is confusing? 
I'll say it again. So you know what we do in our day? Well, if it doesn't make sense, change it. Know that somewhere there's, there's a breakdown in what was said. May I say this, though? When we're convinced that Jesus is the Christ, when his words are difficult, we still believe them. He gave her some difficult words that based on what she could see made no sense. Her brother's dead as a believer, yet believers never die? Well, that doesn't make sense. I can hear the scoffers now. What do you mean he'll never die? What are you talking about? Of course he'll die. He died four days. Are you saying my brother was not saved? Is that what you're saying, Jesus? Are you saying he wasn't a believer? No, no, no. Psalm 119, 165. Great peace. Great peace. I'll say it again. Great peace. Have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. John chapter 8. Look at verse 31. John chapter 8. Verse 30. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Now verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples Indeed. Go back to John 6 now, if you would. John 6. In John 6, the Lord Jesus had given some very difficult words. You see, because we are carnal by nature, and he is spiritual by nature, his words often don't make sense to us. (laughs) Because he has absolute confidence in the Father, and we often have very little confidence in the Father, his words often don't make sense to us. But you know what? If you're convinced he's the Christ, his words don't have to make sense. You just know they're right. You with me? The third thing we see is, if I truly believe Jesus is the Christ, I don't find fault with his word. I might have difficulty with his word, but I remain devoted to his word. John chapter 6, Jesus had said, except you eat his flesh and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Many were offended at what he had to say. He said that in verse 57, as the Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead, but he that eateth this bread shall live forever. Move on down. The Bible says in verse 60, Many therefore of his disciples when they heard this said, This is an hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, what are they murmuring at? What he said. He said unto them, Doth this offend you? What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. You know what Peter's saying? We know that the words you have are words of eternal life. Peter doesn't say, I understand them all, Lord. But he said, we know your words are right because they came from you. May I say this? If Satan can convince you that the words in this book did not come from God, he can convince you. I'll ask it again when I ask you this morning. If you're not getting God's word from the Bible, then what is God's word? And by the way, I read Acts 8.37 earlier tonight. Is that the word of God? Some Bibles don't have it. 
My point is this tonight. I'm not trying to stir anything. I'm trying to help us understand when Satan can shake your confidence in this book, then we have to say, to whom shall we go? You know what? When we're convinced who the author is, the Son of God, then we can say, you know what? I don't always understand what they say, but I know I can believe them because I know who they came from. Amen? Amen. Tonight, when we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, it produces consecrated worship, a conformity to His will in our lives, in our personal walk, and a continuance in His Word. You know what? He said, if you continue my word, then are you my, my disciples indeed. How many of you have come across a passage of Scripture and you go, wow, I don't understand that. Oh, all the time, absolutely. But you know what? I can love it because I know who gave it. And I can say, one day I'll get it, I'll understand. Here tonight I would ask us, am I, am I going to be offended at the word of God? If so, I need to check back and say, well, who, who's Jesus? By the way, if you're convinced Jesus is the Son of God, how did you become convinced? It took this book to do it. You and I didn't wake up just knowing he's the Son of God. If somebody told us, they told us what the book says. Amen. And so tonight, how's our discipleship? Are we believers? And if we are believers, you say, boy, my attitude toward the Lord has waned. My, my goal is not to get you to question whether or not you believe it or not. Now, you, you may need to prove your own self as the Bible says. My goal more would be revisit who he is. If you know and are convinced who he is, then let's, let's get our attitude adjusted to who we know he is. Amen? The true believer says, you know what? I've got to adjust my attitude. I've got to worship him. If the walk is not consistent, if his word is not transforming my life, well, then let's, let's conform our walk to his will. It's, it's for him, for his sake. And then finally, if his word has become difficult to me, we need to say with Martha, we need to say with Peter, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. I believe what you say because I believe who you are. I'll accept your words and I'll continue to accept them. That's a mark of a mature Christian. mark of a, of a mature Christian is not someone who understands and knows it all but knows that if it came from his mouth, it can be trusted.